Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue our study of the book of Ephesians. There are many essentials of the faith. In some areas of theology, there is room for differing viewpoints. There are some things the Bible hints about, but does not specifically and unequivocally prove one viewpoint as opposed to others. But most things are so clear in Scripture that no deviation can be tolerated. These are the truths we must contend for and be diligent to preserve. Among these truths outlined in this passage is that there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. Please follow along with Pastor Harris as he explains these truths in today's slice of this week's message entitled, The Theology of Unity, Part 2. So now we move on to, I've labeled it, the diversity of our unity. It's also appropriate to say this is one of the explanations of why we are one in Christ. It's not because we're so cute and, and, and fuzzy and, and we just can't resist each other. It's because of what Christ has done for us. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives and He died to save us and make us one body, then the point is, we should be putting out significant effort. You might even call it being diligent, which says make it your highest priority. Make haste to do this. We should be diligent to preserve that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, I also understand if God wants us to manifest our oneness, the enemy of God, Satan, wants to do anything he can to fracture us. And, and I realize there are so many distractions, so many attacks on our unity, so many things that are just move it out of first place in our lives. We really have to fight that battle to keep the priority right. I knew the moment that I gave my life to Christ, in, in my case, I was one of the very rare ones. It was on the first time that I heard the gospel. I knew there was a profound change. I knew something had happened to me. I suddenly had this desire to, uh, to, to read the Bible. I suddenly had this desire to pray. I, I wanted to be with, with Christians. But it took me almost two years to realize that it was even better than that. I had thought, this is better than any hobby I've ever had before. This is, this is the best thing that you can do. And I had to realize, no, that's, it's way more than that. It has to be the most important thing. This is who we are. Christianity is not a hobby. It's not an aftermarket add-on accessory. It's not a new app that you put on your phone that you can use whenever you want to. It's who you are. You are in Christ. And that is profound. Now, something spectacular about this oneness 
is that the oneness is composed of a whole bunch of different ones. We are all different. None of us have exactly the same genetics. None of us, none of us have exactly the same experiences. None of us have exactly the same perspectives on things. We are all unique individuals, and yet He has made us one in Christ. It's one body comprised of countless distinct individuals. So today we're going to look at how the finished work of Christ is part of the basis for the unity that is comprised of this incredible diversity. Now I'm going to get a a running start at the passage, and then I'm going to invoke my privilege as the guy that goes verse by verse. I'm going to kind of de-emphasize one of the verses this morning. I'm not going to kind of de-emphasize. I'm going to de-emphasize one of the verses and kind of keep it in my back pocket for using it later because it's going to tie into what comes after that in this chapter. We are collectively one body, but here is an instruction now. Having said, you're one, you're one, you're one, you're one. Do you get it? You're all one. One, I said, I mean one. Now, each individual one of you, I want to talk to you for a moment. That's what he does here. Look at verse 7. We'll read the whole four-verse pericope, and then we'll uh, break it down. Paul says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's the verse we're not going to say a lot about. Well, I'll tell you a little bit in a minute. Therefore, it says, the it is the Old Testament. The reference is Psalm 68, 18. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Parenthesis. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Now, I'm going to, as I say, minor on verse 7 and major on verses 8 through 10. But understand, there's something that's happened to each one of us. To each one of us individually, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. To each one of us, something has been given. It's called God's grace. Well, we're all saved by grace through faith, but there's also a special manifestation of His grace, which is a gift given to each member of the body of Christ. Now, this grace given to us can be, if you will, measured or described by three things that Christ accomplished. So I'm pulling an outline from verses verses, um, 9 10 and the, or uh, 8, 9, and 10, especially 9 and 10, to say that when it comes to our unity, it's based upon these three things, in part. The captives are captured, the gifts are given, and then the proclamation to the prisoners. Verses 8, 9, and 10 is a fascinating little section that seems sort of cryptic. In reality, it describes a big part of the basis for our unity. It's the finished work of Christ. So look at it again. Wherefore, or therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. I remember reading that for the first time, and my thought was, huh? What is that about? Well, it's a quote from Psalm 68, 18. And interestingly, like many of the quotes from the Old Testament 
used in the New Testament, it has an inspired application or an inspired um, additional twist to it in the way that it's applied to the New Testament um, setting. Now, the background of this, as it's used in Psalm uh, 68, this is a verse that is based upon a custom of a conquering general returning in triumph from battle, and he brings with him to a victory parade the enemies that he has captured in the war, in in the battle. And he says, he mentions gifts there. In the context of Psalm 68, the gifts refer to this is what the, the victorious general gets for winning the battle. This is the This is the spoils of battle. These are now his uh, prisoners of war. In uh, the Old Testament, you have an inspired uh, application of that. Not well, it was before that, before Psalm sixty-eight was was written. But in this context, Christ is the one who gives gifts because he has won the battle. So the idea is, you go win the battle, you win the gifts, and now he's saying. There's an even higher um, application of that principle. You win the battle and then you give gifts. The, the application I was mentioning or the illustration is from Abraham. Remember in Genesis 14, Abraham was um, in the habit of cleaning up after Lot. He went out and he defeated Akedar Laomer. And on his return from the battle, along the way, he gave gifts away which he had won in that battle. He gave 10% to this guy named Melchizedek, king of Salem. That becomes a great picture of Jesus, the king of Salem, or the king of peace, the prince of peace. Uh, And you can read about him in the book of of Hebrews. And he also, Abraham also gave to the kings Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre uh, a repayment for their portion of contributions to the battle. And then the rest was given to the king of Solomon. So Abraham sets the pattern that is now applied to Christ, he went out and won the battle, and then he gave away what he had won. Jesus went and won the battle for our souls, and then he turns around and he gives gifts to us. We are the ones who receive the gifts of the Spirit in the body of Christ. Now, verses 9 and 10 is an explanation of something that lies behind the giving of those gifts. And at this point, we interrupt this sermon. This is for an important message from its author. I am about to do my best to teach you what this passage says and what it means by what it says. This is based on countless hours of research and study. It started uh, long ago. The, the flood was drying, and I was working on my master's thesis at that time, and I was dealing with something that was ancillary to this passage. And uh, Marsha will tell you, just for you know, months and months and months and months, and I got two extensions on my thesis, I just kept adding and adding and adding to this pile of things. And so finally got to the end. Uh, I am utterly confident of my view on this, and I believe that what I'm going to teach you harmonizes with key passages in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But in full disclosure, and the reason I'm pausing here, I want you to know that there are many godly fellow expositors and theologians 
who interpret this passage differently. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.